The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the first chapter. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him, and, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen... And I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon, and he said to them, We have found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and he said, You are Simon, son of John. This is the gospel of our Lord. So joy and sardines. Did any of you think, what is this guest pastor thinking when you saw the sermon title, Joy and Sardines? It's possible that you, you like that? You like sardines? All right. So it's very possible that some of you don't know sardines. But the joy part of this message we get, at least most of the time we can have an understanding of what joy could mean. It is a gift of God. Um, it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But sardines... Those smelly, squishy, little fishy things crammed into a small can. There's about eight of them probably crammed into this little can. For those of you who don't know what a sardine is, have your parents try. It's about 89 cents for this little fish bait cat package right here. So, you know, the question with joy and sardines in a sermon title, how does Thailand's fish bait, or Norwegian fish bait, whatever, how does it fit in the same sermon title as, as joy? And, but here's a twist. I wasn't thinking about so much as this can of sardines as I was thinking about a game called sardines. I was just thinking, if anybody here has ever played the game of sardines, you have to raise your hand very high, but just raise your hand just a little bit to let me know that you've played the game of sardines. All right, there's, there's, there's so many. are very nice. Well, if you have, um, or if you haven't, here's how it goes. It's, it, again, it's kind of like a hide-and-seek. So it would start off like this. You get about... Well, however many you have. It could be five people or it could be a dozen people. But you're going to get these folks. And you're going to pick someone to be like the first sardine. 
And so this first sardine, you give them plenty of time to start thinking about where they're going to hide. And, and you might give them like a minute. So the, the, if you have ten, one of them goes over here, and, he's, and you got the other nine. You're going to go place, maybe you're back to the place, and your eyes together, and you're going to start counting. One, two, three. And you count loud enough so that the sardine knows that they've got to hide. So the sardine is going to go find a place. And imagine if it was in this place, that sardine would come way over here and hide behind this. You know, just work with me. So we got the sardine hiding over here. And eventually, when they get the count of 60, they all will shout, sardines, and the game's on. All right? So they start scurrying about, and they're trying to find this first person. And, and they're running around. And here's the catch, though. This is when you find this person. It's not like game up, and you got to chase them back to some base or something like that. No, when you find the first sardine... You're kind of looking around to the other nine or eight, at this point, the other eight people. And when they're not paying attention to you, stealth mode, you go and you kind of hide with the first sardine. Now you've got two. And the other eight are starting to look around and says, oh, wait, wait, we missed one. They've already found the sardine. So now they're looking with greater enthusiasm. They're trying to find this hiding pair of people. And eventually it happens. The third person finds that pair. And when no one else is looking, they slip into place. And now you've got three. And this goes on and on and on until the goal of the game is achieved. That in this case, all ten people would be crammed into one little place. And that would be, quote, sardines. And if you've been, well, and, and we frequently are, we get to be with younger people. It doesn't actually be younger people, but I know from example that teenage boys with old shoes cramming into a small space, sometimes they forget to brush their teeth. Maybe they forgot to put deodorant on, but whatever it is, you got 10 little bodies crammed in one small space, and it can even smell somewhat like sardines. And, and it's just kind of fun that way. And so... As I was thinking about today's gospel lesson and, and preparing, trying to think of a message on behalf of God, I did think about this game of sardines and this can of sardines. In the game of sardines, children often want to show off their place. So if you're the first one and you're hiding back there, if you found a really exceptional place that no one else has been finding yet, you kind of want to show it off. So if you're the first start, you might be kind of peeking out a little bit. And when one of your friends walks by, you might be, psst, psst, here, we're over here. And you'll whisper to them and you'll try to get their attention so that where you are, they can come when, when no one else is looking. And all of a sudden, now you got you and one of your friends and you're huddling back and you're kind of having fun. You're kind of giggling. Isn't this cool? This is a great hiding space. You rock this one out. This is great. And you're having fun. Well, then to two people kind of get bored. You know, because where's the other ones? And they kind of want it. So, again, one by one, they're going to whisper. And maybe they'll step out a little bit so that someone can see you and you kind of cram in there. But they just can't stay in the hind spice alone. That's no fun. Again, the joy of the game is to peek out and to invite all of your friends until all of your third friends are right there with you in this hiding space. So with that in mind, think about this gospel lesson similar to the hide-and-seek game. We have this gospel lesson, and in our gospel lesson today, people are seeking. People are genuinely seeking. They are seeking God's Messiah. For hundreds of years, they have been waiting for this promised Messiah to come. And they keep looking. They're looking for a sign that will reveal who He is. They're going to look for another sign that's going to reveal where He can be found. And the good news on this is that the Messiah wants to be found. 
Jesus wants people to be where he is. To those who are searching for someone who will love them. I mean the kind of person who's going to know who you are, everything about you, your hopes, your dreams, your failures, your fears, everything, and that person still loves you, the people are looking for that kind of a person because they're kind of hard to find in this world. And Jesus says, here I am. And to those who are moving about like consumers in this mundane, monotonous, gray world, always searching for something that will satisfy their inner being with the busyness of the world or the things of this world, and they're never satisfied because there's no joy in that. There's only joy in God. That, and these, and maybe you find yourself that you're looking for something that's worth living for or something worth dying for because if you have something that you're worth dying for, then you're living for something. And to that, Jesus says, I'm over here. To those who are risking to hope again, because it's hard to do that if you've been broken a few times. For those who are risking to trust again, because it's hard to trust once you've lost a trust. For those who are risking to reach out towards God again, Jesus assures them. He tells them, come, come and see. And I've got to tell you that that's good news, but the good news gets better because the seeking of the Son of God and finding the Son of God, it it, it develops. Because in today's gospel lesson, John tells us, he says, look, it's one thing, look, but he says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That announcement touched the minds and the hearts of the people in two very important ways that were linked to two very important events that they celebrated every year. The first one would have been the day of the Passover celebration, and the other one would have been the day of atonement. As he said that sentence, those two days had to have leaped out in their minds about what he was talking about with the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. On the first one with the Passover First century Jews knew what the Passover's, the sacrificial lamb of God was for. They remembered that this perfect, unblemished young lamb would lose its life and its blood would be put on the door side on this side and then the door side on this side and then across the top. They did that every year. So in Jesus, announced by John as the lamb of God, they had hope. The death wouldn't just pass over once. And they'd have to do this every year. But maybe in Jesus, as the Lamb of God, the death would be removed permanently once and for all, and that there would not be death in their future. That as they looked forward in this Lamb of God, that eternal life with their Heavenly Father, that would be their future. So that's the first part, the Lamb of God. But it gets even, it gets, it's even more. There's the Day of Atonement that's linked with this. First century Jews know a lot of like what we know. They know that there is a separation between God and us. They know that that is caused by our endless and very creative ways of sinning in how we think, in what we say, in what we do, even our motives. Are, are separating us from our Lord and Savior. And they knew that. And they also knew the second thing, that sin is costly and that there's a punishment for that. It is a separation from God. And if you're separated from God, there is no life. There is no joy. There is no love. You're in a place that's apart from that. And that is not good. And the third thing that they knew is that the works of us, the works of people, that they are insufficient. 
It doesn't matter how many times we sit in a worship service. It doesn't matter how many hours we spend praying. It doesn't matter how many hours we spend studying. We can memorize everything there is to memorize in every book about God and be incredibly smart, and we would still be not sufficient to be in the presence of God. And they knew that too. That there is a need for God to somehow for God to provide a way to save. Because only God can do that. And so they had this Day of Atonement. And on behalf of the people, the priest would receive a bull, and that bull would be slaughtered, and the blood would be placed. And they'd also receive two goats or two sheep, and it called, that's where you get the idea of scapegoat. One was killed, and the blood was put, but the other one received the sins of people, and it was cast out into the wilderness. That's what the two goats did. One died, one was set out. They had that. But as sincere as that ceremony was, there were still problems. The people still not did not feel forgiven. They also were doing, all they were doing was buying time, if you'd will. Because everyone knew that the blood of goats and the blood of bulls would not really take away their sins. And more than that, before the day was done, so if you do this midday before the sun would set on that Passover day, they would have an additional sin, at least one. Something they would say, something they would think, something that they would do between the time that they had that atonement in the morning and everything was set free and, and cleansed, from the time they went to bed, they sinned again. They were never free. And so there was a desperate hope for a future day that, would be, that they would be forever saved from their sin. So to hear John announce that Jesus, the Messiah, was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that announcement was truly joyful good news. A couple weeks ago, in the last weeks of pre, you know, before coming here, um, I was told the Emmanuel Lutheran Church has been in this sermon series about the fruit of the Spirit and I was told how wonderful Pastor Solberg has been teaching and he's a, he's a God-blessed and inspired pastor amongst the blessed people. And that he, he was clear to say that it's not plural, fruits of the Spirit, but it's fruit. And I think there was an analogy, someone told me it was like an orange, where you peel off the orange and there's all these little slices, but still one fruit. Um, that there was an importance between the words, uh, the idea of fruit and fruits. It's one Spirit, one fruit, but there's all these different aspects. Well, similarly... And this would have been a significant importance to the people listening to John, that there's a difference between the singular word sin and or what some people might say sins, the plural side of it. See, in the first century, people would have been hopeful because John said the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world rather than sins. Because if the first word um, was plural in sins, it would mean that the Lamb of God takes away all of the many things and the great variety, again, of things that we sin against our Father. Our thoughts, our words, our actions, anything that separates us from each other and our Lord. But while that's good, it wouldn't be enough. Because as soon as we're sin forgiven one, we got another one. We got another one. As soon as we're forgiven, we got another one. It's never ending. So John uses the word singular, sin. And as he did so, he says, the Lamb of God will take away their sinful condition. It means it's not so much of what you do that's being saved because He loves you that much. It's not all those, it's, it's who you are that's being saved. 
He knows exactly who we are. He knows exactly what we do. And He saves us in spite of that. He knows that, and His love is that big. His sacrifice on the cross was that complete. He saves us from our sinful condition. And that was the best news ever. Talk about joyful to be saved from your condition. Going back to this game of sardines and this gospel lesson. The gospel lesson tells us that the purpose, and when you read this lesson on your own, this first chapter, there's the word purpose, the purpose of John. The purpose of John was this, to know Jesus. It was to prepare the people for his coming through confession and repentance. Confession, listing out what they do wrong, but turning their back to it and their face to God. But the third part of this was to make Jesus known. That was his reason and his purpose. His whole existence was wrapped up into that. It's to know who my Lord is, know Jesus, get people prepared to meet him, and then have them meet who Jesus is. That's what his purpose was. And then later on, it's shared. It kind of spreads like this game of sardines. We have Andrew. So Andrew is following John. He's prepared. He listens to John, and he goes where Jesus is. But once he's with Jesus for that period of time, The only thing he could think about, having spent time with who Jesus was and discovering who he was, the only thing he could think about is my brother. And so he leaves and he goes and he gets his brother Simon. He says, we have found him. Come with me. He's over here. And he brings him back to Jesus. Through their life stories, through this gospel lesson, We are connected to the reason and purpose of the Christian church, this church of Jesus. We are realigned with the mission and the ministry of this church, that we are to know who Jesus is personally, and then we are to make him known. Outside of that, there is no purpose and there's not much joy. If you don't know him, there's no joy. If you know him and making him known, there is joy. Like in the hide-and-seek game of sardines we remember, That the game is not over until the very last person has been led and brought into this huddle. It's not over. Because only then would everybody know who Jesus is. Only then everybody would want to be making Jesus known. And they all got to be inside. To be sure, there's happiness in playing this game called sardines. It's fun. It just is. It's fun and it's happy. But there is a love and there is a joy in this mission and ministry of Christ's church of bringing people into Him, of knowing who He is and making Him known. With that said, may God continue to bless His church here and across this planet that we will be that church, that having the joy of knowing who Jesus is, that we will make Him known. Amen.